0: We need to be, you know, a character in Hollyoaks that has a great sex life with somebody. Or we need to be just everywhere. We need to be on a, on a real-life programme that's nothing to do with our disability, that's to do with something else. Or we need to be on children's TV, of course. We need to be on teenage TV. We need to hear about, um, in, the mag- in teenage magazines, we need to hear about people with disabilities who get periods and who fancy boys and get spots.
1: Hello and welcome to the Disability Download. The Disability Download is brought to you by Pan Disability Charity Leonard Cheshire. I'm Erin O'Reilly and on this podcast we respond to current topics, share stories and open up conversations about disability. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode everyone. So I'm really excited to bring you this month's episode because I got to catch up with Kathy, who many of you may already know as That Single Mum on Instagram. Now, a few months ago, Kathy shared a negative experience she'd had while on a popular dating app, and it was where another user was disappointingly using disability hate speech on the platform. Now, Kathy raised it with the dating site, but unfortunately, and I guess many people might not find it that surprising, not much was actually done to tackle the behaviour. And this is perhaps all too common, not just on dating sites, but on social media platforms in general. So we really wanted to get Kathy on the disability download. Not just to talk about that experience um, and obviously the experience with the dating app and her thoughts on how they kind of dealt with that but also to talk more generally about dating sex education intersectionality and what needs to be done to challenge some of the ableist views that exist around disability and dating now some of the themes that we discuss around hate speech and vulnerability while dating could be triggering for some listeners so kathy thank you so much for joining us today i thought we could start off with an intro to you so you're a bit of a disability rights activist on social media so i thought maybe we could start just by talking about how your platforms kind of evolved over time
0: sure hi and thank you for having me on um so i i started my instagram uh, a couple of uh, two and a half years ago i think after i broke up with um my children's dad um and i was kind of like in mourning and wallowing I'm really feeling self-indulgent and I was like let me start an Instagram where I can talk about how crap men are, I don't know if I can swear, <laughs> <laughs> um, how bad, how awful men are in heterosexual relationships and I started talking about that but then kind of as time went on um, and my account grew um, I also started following a lot of people who are disabled who talk about disability and it was Um, so much was resonating that they were saying and I was uncovering so much of my own kind of experiences and thoughts and trauma and feelings and I wanted to write about that too so it kind of um, my account kind of morphed into talking actually chiefly about being disabled and the ableism I've experienced in my life the ableism that disabled people experience in general because that is now much I mean it always has been but it's much more of a kind of Something that I go through on a daily basis and will never stop going through. Whereas the breakup with my children's dad kind of once I passed the morning stage, I was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore, like I'm over it. (laughs) So yeah, and I'm not I don't um I know you said when you introduced me that um I'm an activist, I wouldn't say that. I would say that um I'm a writer and I share my experiences um in the hope that people might take something away from it and or and perhaps more importantly disabled people might feel a bit seen in the way that i felt seen when i started the account and started following all those people
1: and do you feel like kind of in sort of the last two years that community has really grown as well where more and more people are actually sharing their experiences and and having those conversations definitely i think that there is so much
0: um to be learned in social media i think that um People kind of bash it and say that you know go read a book it's much more educational or it's much more factual and that might be true in a lot of cases because we are only sharing opinions on social media we don't have to fact check we don't have to check for libel or whatever um but we're by saying that we're kind of undermining the accessibility of social media particularly for people with a lot of disabilities that might find it more difficult to um, just pick up a book or, you know, or to read something that's more academic um, in in the way that it's written. I think that social media is a great tool for kind of I don't know, like sharing everyone's diaries. It's like I find it a bit like a diary the people I follow use it as a bit like a diary as well it's a bit like oh wow okay that's really insightful into your life not necessarily the life of all disabled people or not necessarily the life of all whatever intersection I'm following but but yeah it's just really insightful and I've learned so much from um from it
1: yeah and I think it's you know sharing those personal experiences that that get people to listen like you can have the facts and the stats but actually when people are talking about what they've actually experienced that's the kind of thing right
0: that's what touches people right it's what it, it moves them in one way or another it moves them even if it moves them to think oh you know it, it it's much more um the personalization
1: of it um resonates a lot more i think and you've talked a bit about dating on the platform so kind of one of the the chats i wanted to have about today was about an experience that you had on the popular dating platform where you experienced hate speech and inappropriate language towards you on the platform. And you actually confronted the provider about that. I was just wondering if you could maybe talk about that experience.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So I use um, a dating app. You can visit my profile to find out which one. Um, And this dating app kind of purports itself, positions itself as something, as an app that is safe for marginalized people to use. and so obviously, I was attracted to it for that reason um and it has more of a kind of reputation for being um an app that people don't just kind of or rather men don't just solicit sex on it um it's it's more kind of respectful um let's say, in reputation and um and yeah, I've been using it on and off for a couple of years, and every now and again, I get um a message from somebody that I match with that is really inappropriate and offensive. And I received one um, a couple of months ago, um, which is the one you're talking about. And um, it was the most offensive one I've ever received on there. And when I shared that on my Instagram profile, um, you know, a lot of people that resonated, it touched a lot of people. And um and then I thought, yeah, actually now I've got this Instagram profile, I can I can reach out to um the app because they're more likely to listen um because brands don't really tend to they tend to listen a bit more if if you can influence a lot of people's minds and views on their on their products um so um they um I, we started speaking over um instagram dm myself and the brand um, and i was really unhappy with the kind of the way they um their tone of voice in their dms was very patronizing um they seemed to kind of undermine my experience quite a lot um, and eventually I managed to move the conversation to email although I didn't know the person's email address which felt really sneaky like they had a way of replying without revealing their full name or email address which felt like they would just like undermine me again and my experience and um, you know they, the whole ex, the whole experience of talking to them, didn't feel like they were on my side or that they wanted to change anything it just felt like they wanted to keep me quiet anyway it all kind of ended in them sending me a massive bunch of expensive flowers which felt very gaslighty and very um kind of like silencing behavior basically I didn't want flowers I wanted people like me to know that they weren't gonna that the the app was going to deal with hate speech if and when it occurred obviously it does occur and they can't stop it from occurring but they can deal with those users appropriately after it does occur right and that's what they didn't do um and anyway after they sent the flowers they stopped replying to me
1: you know like you say they kind of market themselves as being an inclusive platform where you should feel like you're in a safe space so so what did they kind of did they give any reason as to why they wouldn't like block the profile or why they wouldn't look into it all oh they just kind of said
0: that it um they I don't know how credible this is but they said that rest assured they had actually blocked it but they just couldn't tell me that they had actually blocked it for privacy reasons and I said but but what you did tell me is that you haven't blocked it so how is that any less or more private than saying you have blocked it like that doesn't actually make sense (laughs) um
1: and I think they
0: I think they they played on the fact that there was no way of me knowing whether or not they were telling the truth with all of that,
1: I think. So they definitely weren't practicing what they were preaching in terms of what they Yeah, definitely. And when I
0: shared the whole experience, because I've got a highlight on it in my Instagram profile, when I sh- started sharing it, a lot of um, my followers came to me and were like, hey, I've had a similar experience on this app where they're not necessarily disabled, but they are part of a marginalized group. And, you know, um, a person had um, behaved really inappropriately or offensively um, and it hadn't been dealt with by the app. And whenever they'd contacted the makers of the app, they hadn't received a reply, which again highlights the kind of ickiness of the fact that they only replied to somebody with a profile or a certain following rather than somebody who um doesn't have that power of influence
1: yeah so it seems like they don't really take you know every individual situation seriously
0: yeah even though they are just of
1: the same severity they you know yeah yeah, exactly it's frustrating and and have you had kind of like similar negative experiences on other apps is it like quite a common problem across i do stay with this app because i have had worse experiences
0: on other apps but There have been other apps that are kind of known for being a bit like that. And so I've just kind of given up on them. Um, But yeah, that is, it is a rare occurrence that that would happen. Um, But nevertheless, it does happen, I guess.
1: Yeah, like it shouldn't happen. But if it does happen, it's important that there's mechanisms in place so that people can feel confident that it's going to get dealt with and not... For sure. And that kind of moves me actually on, I guess, a bit more to um, social media platforms in general. Because online hate crime is a rising crime, something that's like happening all the time. Do you feel that social media platforms are doing enough to kind of intervene and remove users and kind of improve the narrative around what's acceptable on those platforms? No, not at all. I mean, if you take
0: Instagram as an example um i haven't I've received some um kind of uh, spiteful hateful, offensive ableist messages on there um and reported the profiles only for instagram to say that they're not doing anything about it or um and i've got a lot of friends who've who are from different marginalized groups who have had similar experiences um and yet repeatedly we're shown it um not just on instagram but on a lot of social media platforms we're we're repeatedly shown that people that are from those marginalized groups are policed in ways that people who aren't aren't and somehow you know for example I recently did an ad on my Instagram um which was taken down by Instagram for prohi- um promoting a prohibited item it wasn't prohibited at all it wasn't in their list of prohibited items and everybody else on the uh, who'd been on the same ad campaign um Uh, none of them were disabled and all of their ads stayed up and so it feels like that kind of stuff happens all the time and it feels like why are we being targeted like why are we being watched more than um than people who aren't disabled or who aren't from another marginalized group um
1: yeah it's, it's kind of wild how that happens yeah you kind of see people sharing things where like their images have been deemed offensive or something like that and it's it's like what's the right or there's too much nudity um and it's um like a fat person or a black
0: person and they'll be like oh it's too much nudity but then you know um celebrities like the kardashians can basically show themselves entirely nude or whatever you
1: know it doesn't make sense how that how the algorithms work i think that's just like had not enough done to kind of make sure that the platform appears in the right way and that that people aren't being discriminated against but it, it still seems to be happening a lot for sure yeah and you kind of mentioned earlier that on the platform you do talk a lot about ableism and experiences that you've had and is that something you find as a mother that you experience kind of often people making generalizations about about that um about my kids or about like parenting and myths and misconceptions Oh right, yeah, for sure.
0: Um, especially when my kids were um younger, when they were like, um, when each of them was like a baby, I would get people like trying to kind of muscle in and help me where I didn't need help physically, or um, because they would see me struggling, but like, and they would think that that's unusual for me, but actually, I struggle every time I pick up my kids. It's just normal, or I look like I am either anyway, and um, and you know a lot of people kind of can't bear the awkward feeling that they feel when they see someone struggling so they muscle in they try to help um and it just makes it a million times worse um so that definitely was something I experienced when they were younger I remember that really vividly um I think I've been um I mean I'm going to use the word lucky lightly but um in the sense that people have kind of I know that there are disabled people disabled parents who whose disability is often called into question in terms of how effectively they can parent and I've been lucky in the sense that that hasn't happened to my face as much um I'm sure it probably has behind my back um so I have been quite fortunate in that regard um but I think what I found really difficult and again this was when they were younger when we were constantly in like mum and baby groups and parenting spaces is like the just the kind of unintentional almost exclusion that myself and my kids experienced in all of those spaces Um, exclusion in terms of accessibility and how comfortable and how easy it was for us Um, but also just in terms of like being the red herring of of the um, non-disabled white woman middle class group and not feeling like a part of any of that. Has that changed at all over time or do you
1: still kind of feel like that is... No,
0: well, I, I started with my eldest. I went to a lot of um, mother and baby groups and um, especially because where we lived, I didn't know anyone in the area and so I thought that would be a good way to meet people it wasn't (laughs) um but then with my second um I kind of purposely stayed away from them because I recognized how bad they were for my own mental health and I just thought that for me and the baby it would be better for us to just kind of do our own thing and meet up with my friends that I could trust myself being around and not not come away from the situation feeling harmed um and that just worked out so much better for us um I don't think
1: anything's changed over that time but it hasn't been that much time anyway and i guess that kind of feeds into you know just so many common myths and misconceptions around kind of disability and dating and sex and relationships and people's kind of just um you know ableism towards that yeah and where that's kind of built up over time have you found that kind of dealing with stigma and misunderstanding around disability in dating and and mis- misconceptions around that, that's something you've kind of had to encounter when you've been dating and when you're on these platforms and people kind of... Yeah, I think... um, I think even... I think it's
0: really difficult for um, non-disabled people to see disabled people in, in motherhood spaces and in dating spaces because they don't te- tend to recognise us as fully human and... Um, and we so often don't appear in these spaces because we might do things like I did with my second child and hide away from them because they're so violent towards us. And so and so then that's a kind of catch 22 because if we don't appear in them, then it's not normalized, but then why should we be the ones to appear in them when they it feels awful, right? And so, but when it comes to dating, it's similar. It's like, I, have a, I know a lot of disabled people who just genuinely don't put themselves out there and, um, I'm not going to speak for all disabled people obviously it's it's different for everyone but but the you know and I've had periods of my life where I haven't put myself out there either because again it's you can be met with such um dehumanization that it just drains the life out of you um and in dating, I'm so often seen i think mainly because of my size um as something for men to fetishize over um and you know that's dehumanizing on a whole other level. Um, and so putting myself out there into the dating world, I'm constantly subjecting myself to that. And then it's like even with the men that don't necessarily fetishize me, because I get so much of it, you you become kind of paranoid that everyone just is is thinking of you in the same way. And so it's quite hard for me to feel comfortable with a man. Um, and
1: genuinely like he wants to know me for me because that's such a rare occurrence so it must it must make it quite a challenge challenging experience in that sense and obviously dating is difficult anyway especially with like the online nature of things so kind of adding to that it's you know it's a challenge Um what do you think you know more people can do to kind of help break down those barriers obviously, I think, you know, dating programs could do a lot more to be more inclusive. I think there's a lot of work to be done in that space. And, you know, like, on social media, things are getting talked about more. And I think having those open conversations is important. But is there anything else you think needs to be done so that those barriers can kind of come down a bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I feel like with dating programs, I feel like because, and I'm going to speak specifically to dwarfism here, because I I recognize it is so, so different across the disabled spectrum. But because people with dwarfism are seen, especially women with dwarfism are fetishized so much, because we are dehumanized so much in dating, if we are plonked onto a dating program, no matter how inclusive they try to be, that will still be the outcome, because that is how the world currently sees us. And so what needs to happen is we need to be appearing in more subtle kind of romantic situations or dating situations or sex situations where it's just like we it's just more normal to see us. We, you know, we need to be, you know, a character in Hollyoaks that has a great sex life with somebody or we need to be, you know, or we need to be just everywhere, we need to be on a on a real-life programme that's nothing to do with our disability, that's to do with something else. Or we need to be on children's TV, of course. We need to be on teenage TV. We need to hear about, um, in, the mag- in teenage magazines, we need to hear about people with disabilities who get periods and who fancy boys and get spots. You know, we- these all need to be so normalised in, in order for people to grow into um, seeing us on a on a dating program and not think that's out of place.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there are starting to be a lot more like disabled actors and actresses in programmes, but it still feels like it's something to be like celebrated. It's like, oh, like this, like this this person's disabled and it's still a novelty where actually it should just be almost like no one even notices. If you know what I mean? It's just part. Yeah, of Yeah.
0: It should just be part of it. And there have been some brilliant examples where it's been, you know, it has, they've tried their best to kind of present it in that way. Um, and we just, we just need more and more of it. Um, but particularly I'm going to um, add in here, we need to see, more disabled people of color as well, because it's so often white people, yeah. um, and just dis- the disability movement and um, like anti ableism talk and stuff like that. It's we just see white people everywhere, and that's not that's not representative of our community, yeah. um, and the same for cisgender people. We we just see and it's and again it's flattening. The disabled experience because that's just not what everybody experiences, and you come away thinking. And I'm, I'm, you know, I had years of working for um, as a journalist for a disability magazine, Um, and I can count the number of um, black or brown people I interviewed on one hand compared to white people. And even I kind of had that, you know, I'm ashamed to say I had that inner kind of. perspective of like oh okay we're disabled people and black people and brown people are black people and brown people but they're not part of that group like it's all separate
1: yeah. but
0: that's just not true yeah. <laughs> it's just true um, and to see people in their full humanity you have to see people it's really important to see people that um, meet many intersections in life because until like
1: Until they're liberated, nobody can be liberated. And recognising that intersectionality is so important, you know, for people to understand that in terms of, like, marginalised groups and how that works across different groups. It's really important to have those conversations and awareness. Um, And going back to what you said about how you want to see this in magazines and books and, you know, it just become a part of everything. Do you feel like sex education in terms of school could do a lot better um, in terms of bringing disability into those conversations I mean I think a lot of people will agree well I think like when I was at school sex education was you know really not as good as it could have been and quite outdated um and you know it really needs to be updated and reflective but do you think that that could be a way as well of having those conversations and getting people to consider that more definitely um I mean, sex ed when
0: I was at school was really, really limited, um, and it's all from the man's experience and the man's pleasure and the man's enjoyment, and um, and you know what happens to the man throughout and stuff. And it's like, well, that's obviously still important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, also, what the what the woman experiences is important. It's important that we understand what our anatomy is, and we're never taught it. Um, and it's important that we really understand periods beyond the blood how they can how they can um affect our entire bodies um and do affect our entire bodies um throughout throughout the month from the moment that we get them um and then also it's obviously um important to um share um like queer experiences of sex and um Uh, trans experiences of sex and you know it's important to invite all of these um, marginalities to the conversation because we all have sex (laughs) Um, so um but yeah for sure um sex education could be improved by introducing disability for sure um and it could you know again normalize seeing disability seeing disabled people
1: as people who can also be sexual 100% yeah. And is there any kind of advice maybe you would give someone that is wanting to date but is maybe kind of, you know, cautious about the experiences on the apps and kind of how to maybe deal with, you know, when there are, what are those difficult conversations? Is there anything you would say about how to approach that? Obviously it's different for everyone, but Right, it's different for everyone and it really just depends what you're comfortable with and I would say, you know, lean into your
0: intuition with that because my intuition's never wrong when it comes to dating it's never been wrong and I can I can kind of smell a rat in terms of I can I can weed out the the potential matches that um would only want one thing from me that I'm that I'm not currently searching for no shade to anyone that does um I can because but that's just because I've been burned right and I've learned through experience and stuff And I think you just, you know, you have to take your time. A lot of men like have tried in the past to kind of rush me and rush um, different stages of being around me or being in a relationship with me. Um, And I've kind of, at certain points, I've gone along with it, at certain points I've said no, but don't ever be afraid to say no, because if you're not ready um, in any way, I feel like non-disabled people, Particularly, like really underestimate how vulnerable disabled people have to be to show them to expose themselves on, on any scale emotionally, physically, um, to to a non-disabled person, because we're so aware of of how hurt we could be in that in that experience, and how we could be rejected, and how painful that could be, and so you know and I've I've met I've met people who have said you know come on why are you being so shy or why are you so closed off and I'm like well I just need a bit of time like it's different for me than it is for you you need to appreciate that and sometimes they go off in a half and sometimes they they get it and they say okay then but would you really want to be with someone that goes on off in a half anyway like it's good to read them out that way
1: yeah and just be
0: honest um yeah
1: Figure it out early on, then you don't have to waste your time with them. Exactly. And it's interesting what you were saying about the the vulnerability as well, so obviously in the past few months there's been lots of conversations online about women's safety and you know texting when you get home, and you know those conversations that we've been having, and I think that's another important thing that ties into um, what you're saying about intersectionality as well, and the vulnerability of disabled women in particular. Is that something that you've kind of been thinking about in relation to kind of recent events as well? No, I think I've been, I don't know if I've been extremely lucky.
0: Oh yeah, I have been extremely lucky in terms of my safety when dating. I've never, um, I've had a lot of dating experience and I've never felt um, at threat or vulnerable in that, in a in a danger sense. Um. um And I think, you know, yeah, that's not the experience for everyone. And I've just been very lucky in that regard. Um, But I do think, again, it's like, there's an extra layer of vulnerability for disabled people, especially physically disabled people in terms of, you know, inviting someone home with you or inviting someone to have sex with you. Because if you are more easily dominated than somebody who is non-disabled or doesn't have the same impairment as you, you know, that's a, that's a thing that's scary because if you want to say no at some point, you want to feel like, okay, yeah, I, I know I can say no and they will respect it. You don't want to feel like, oh, I might say no and they might just go ahead anyway. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I definitely think that that's
1: an added layer in terms of inviting someone to bed with you. Yeah, and I think those are perhaps conversations that need to be part of sex education and discussions around consent as well.
0: Right, right, definitely, definitely. And just like, yeah, just making people more aware of like, normalising the access needs of disabled people, but also making space for their vulnerability.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us for this chat. It was, you know, really interesting to hear about your experiences and, and get your insight on these topics. I know you mentioned there's more information about what we've talked about on your Instagram. Um, so I'll direct everyone to that in our show notes too. But thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you. So as I just mentioned, I'll pop links to Kathy's Instagram, which is that single mum on our show notes on our Simplecast site. Um, so you can find all the links there. But I thought that was just like a really interesting discussion, not just about you know, the importance of driving down hate speech across all social platforms and, and dating apps, but also just highlighting the work that needs to be done to just challenge ableist views of disability and dating and sex and, you know, the important role sex education plays in that as well. So thanks again to Kathy for taking the time to share her thoughts with us on this episode. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts too, so please do email feedback and suggestions for future topics or guests that you really want to hear, to download at leonardcheshire.org and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at leonardcheshire. And as always, please do remember to like, share and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Stay safe. Until next time, I'm Erin and this has been the Disability Download.